Follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I am Shad, here with Matt, and Brad is back with us. Guys, how are you? Uh, doing good, Shad. I'm doing good as well. <laughs> Sorry, I got it's like a... an email right as like you said that. And it was like uh, it was like all of a sudden it was in question about whether or not Brad really was. But we want to thank, say thank you, everybody out there, for joining us for this episode. We'll get our shout-outs taken care of right here at the beginning. First and one's going to go. to Electricity. I missed it yeah. that week. It's going to go to Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand. Collarandelbowbrand.com. Use the promo code Four Corners Podcast. That's the number four, capital C and corners, capital P and podcast. Save 10% off your order or the shout-out. We go to Matt. Uh, that would be to the man himself, Orlando Cologne. You know, I think it was the night Royal Rumble 2012 may be the last one. Yeah. Uh, that he was in. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? The Royal Rumble. The Royal Rumble. And that would be another segue. Brad, can you set us up, please? So we are doing um, the 1991 Royal Rumble this week. Uh, kind of a forgotten rumble. In the grand scheme of the universe. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so uh, this was a listener request, and we are gonna we're gonna work our way through the event here. So what do we start with? So we're kicking off with the Rockers versus the Orient Express. This is um. So there's two versions of the Orient Express. So if you see a guy with a mask, that's Paul Diamond under a mask. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and then I don't remember who. Was, I don't remember what the first guy's name was. It was Sato? It was Sato. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and he, for he, so he came and then left, and then you had the the team. It, Paul Diamond basically as Kato, and they have him under a mask, obviously, <laughs> so you wouldn't see he's just like a a white dude versus yeah. <laughs> someone else, like an actual Asian gentleman. Um, and then I think at some point, like when it's kind of like towards the end of the Orient Express, I think they actually brought Sato back, and he he had a stint. Hmm. Um, whereas like there was like a three man unit, oh, okay. but that was like very short lived. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So this was the Orient Express versus the Rockers, which is Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels. Um, guys, just kind of overall impression. This went 19 minutes 15 seconds kind of overall impressions on this um and up until mania 7 this is probably the second best wwf wrestling match i've seen from the 70s and 80s up to 91 this was like a really 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 good match um which makes perfect sense in a lot of ways because it's the rockers who were good in a awa 
Uh-huh. Uh, and they're facing against uh, essentially like Tanaka, Pat Tanaka, and Paul Diamond, who had a really good run in in the AWA themselves as well. Uh, I think they, I think they won the championship, the tag championships, right? I don't yeah, know if they did. I can't. I don't remember if the Rockers ever did. I know they were they working did. as they, the Midnight Rockers. They won Rockers. it once or twice um, in the AWA. Um, <laughs> hey, <laughs> Shad, you want to know? Yeah. You want to know who Tanaka and Diamond, what their tag team name in AWA was? What's that? It was Bad Company. From it was the Bad Company with two Ds, <laughs> and and they were managed by they were managed by DDP. That's right. Oh, they are actually. I haven't seen a ton of like uh, AWA stuff, but they were managed by a, a much younger uh, Diamond Dallas Page I, way I, before he actually became a wrestler. I've you seen know. a lot of AWA because. Mm-hmm. Um, it was on ESPN Classic, like all the ESPN stuff. So I've seen like a lot of like 86 through 90. I am tempted. It's not going to be like right away, maybe by the end of the year. Um, but uh, there are ways out there. You obviously you can get like replica belts. And I have noticed that it's actually you can find ones. You can find some that are pretty cheap for you can find like an EWA replica belt. And it's not even that much money. So I have to clarify, Matt, because you mm-hmm. yes, we've already made the joke, but I'm coming back to it. Did Bad Company make their entrance to Bad Company from yes. Bad Company by Bad Company? Yes, they did. Yes. That's that is the fourth. I've always thought that joke could use a fourth <laughs> iteration in it, and and now we have that, and that makes the tag team happy. Bad Company who came out to the ring to Bad Company by Bad Company from the album Bad Company. Exactly. <laughs> there's there's um it's Inception. There's um. <laughs> The most memorable thing they did is they ran in on like a Medusa versus Wendy Richter match, I think it was. And, you know, they're running in on a women's match like, oh, they're just going to do, you know, whatever. And then, like, I think Tanaka just hauls off and punches Wendy Richter right in the face. I'm like, oh, I didn't expect that to happen. Wow. Okay. And this is like 1988. Yeah, that's not the era of, like, male... Uh, wrestlers assaulting women well, wrestlers like Jerry that. Lawler. And then that was just a Monday night in Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> I, they, I've, I've mentioned this before that to me, the best one was like, I think Florida championship wrestling when you had um, Kevin Sullivan doing like full, you know, demonic Satanist gimmick. Oh, and, mm-hmm. and they had, yeah, it, it was actually young Luna Vachon who didn't, didn't appear like, you know, Luna Vachon. She's just portraying like a, like a fan or something like that. He just cold cocked her in the face. And I'm like, he, I think he was, I think he shoot punched her. It well, looked I mean, brutal. I mean, Ooh. I hear, uh, I hear uh, that gets her going. So, <laughs> or it did. Yes. <clears throat> but, um, this is, this is, I think it's fair to say the most dynamic match on the card. Um, the most energy, the most, that sort of stuff. So uh, it's a good watch. Yeah, I would give this probably four, maybe four and a fourth if I was throwing snowflakes around. Yeah, that one's pretty fair. It's it's actually a really good match. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't it doesn't overstay its welcome. Like I, we're not going deep into it, but I think it's something you should see because Michaels especially is really good in that. And yeah. especially if you're used to like what WWF uh, matches look like at the time, it really stands out. They were not following the old formula. No, they they had a really good match with uh, Haku and the Barbarian at Mania Seven, like a couple months after that. So they were really. I remember seeing them in a Survivor Series match across from 
uh, Haku and the Barbarian. But I did not remember that Mania match. Yeah, and they did they did win the WWF tag titles, but then it was rescinded because the top rope came off against the right. Foundation, which is lame. Yeah, there was supposed to be a weird story around that one. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen that angle in a long time, so I don't I don't know. Uh, this match was really good, and it was kind of different for that time because you were. They had some good tag teams like the Heart Foundation and a few years earlier like the British Bulldogs, but yeah. it seemed like it was mostly obviously like Demolition, who I did like, um, but obviously they're not. They're more like the Haas, big Haas tag team. They were good workers though. They just were not they, like this they, kind of worker. Yeah, they were good workers. I actually I thought they were fine, but uh, you're not going to see them do the stuff that like Warrior Express and the Rockers are doing. Like no. it's good. Uh, Sean was like dynamic in this one, and he's just going balls to the wall in this. He's like, he, he's really showing off some good stuff here. Mm-hmm. I can see why they shortly after this, like a year or so, like turned him because it's like they events or whoever saw like money in him. Like right. they were right. I mean, he he gave them like another like fifteen rough years with some time off for injuries, but he this is like the kind of beginning you can see like, wow, this guy's yeah. like really good. So, yeah, I, I get it here. It's a, it's a real shame, though. It's hard to know what kind of heights he would have reached if um, those 250 Marines, and I believe it was Jet <laughs> Jaguar, beat the crap out of him in a parking lot. The number goes up every time somebody retells the yeah, story. Yeah, and it'll, so be, it'll, be, um, it'll be King Ghidorah next time. Right. Right. That was uh, the stupid running joke I always had whenever I heard Evolution's entrance music was that Evolution was a pissed Marine, and that's why they beat up Shawn Michaels so much. So so up next we have, um, this is kind of uh, in a string of good Rumble matches that Boss Man had, but this is the Barbarian versus Big Boss Man. So this is leading up to him challenging for the IC title um, mm-hmm. against Kurt Henning at Mania 7. I think it's a really dumb angle, though, where like it's all because like Heenan insulted his mom or something dumb like that. Right. But I have to say, this this is a shockingly good match. This uh, was kind of like a big Haas match. Yeah. But it was Vossman kind of getting his ass handed to him, like most of the match. But it worked. Like, it actually worked. It was two big dudes fighting each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I should have written it down because um, the red. No, the ref wasn't bad in this one. The ref, like, did something dumb in the first match that pissed me off. And then we'll get to the ref in the next match. But it wasn't it like he, um, he, like, awarded some blatant double team action? No, he, he like, Kato came in and hit Janetti, And then he, like, just lets Kato do what, fuck all when he's already in the ring, but make sure that Janetti can't come in the ring. Right, he, he missed... By situational awareness... He missed the turnaround spot. Yeah, that Kato... That Kato is in the fucking ring and he should take care of that instead of Janetti. Right. Yeah. He he missed he missed the turnaround spot. Your your standard ref goes to stop the baby face from coming in so the heels can double team him kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um We should also note that the commentary team here is uh it's Gorilla Monsoon and, and Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah, and I was I was actually shocked I did not want to kill Piper much during the show. Yeah, I, I I personally didn't like that that team. No, right, I, commentary I team. no. I I didn't like it. It's 
it is um i think it's vince's uh, announcing philosophy coming through that you don't have to do play by play in wrestling because they're watching it it's like well okay yeah that's flawless logic that's why if you watch a basketball game the announcers don't talk about what's happening on the court or if you watch a baseball game they don't talk about what's happening on the field you know, no, yeah we don't yeah no you can see it for yourself you don't need us to to do play by play it's that's stupid i hate it and they weren't giving us good context either to a lot of this no. stuff so you had piper kind of doing his unhinged thing which it didn't really bother me much but it was also mentally kind of tuned the down thing is a little I've seen bit a lot i've seen the tv leading up to this and um the, the the sad fact is that Gorilla was reining him in a lot. Yeah. Well. For this. Yeah, and so the commentary team does not add a whole lot. No. To this entire event, so they're not offensive, but they aren't good either. Mm-hmm. They no, they're not. They're not good. It, it's, I I kind of never. And I had never really liked Piper on commentary no. because he couldn't be. He was first off, he was like face commentary, and he couldn't be like the best version of Piper. And the best version of Piper, either face or heel, is when he just seems like a coked out madman. He's just like, ah, guy. And he like just starts ranting and everything <laughs> like that. Some of the ranting could be like really weird, but like that's that's how you like that's the best Piper. Now I will he, say I, I haven't heard much of him doing like heel color in georgia and i think he might be better there yeah kind of uh, in the same vein as ventura doing it but yeah but that yeah, also it was a... he also has one of my favorite georgia angles though where don morocco starts abusing abusing gordon Soli, and um piper is a heel at the time but he's fucking yeah. with his commentary partner and he just attacks don morocco and they start brawling yeah in the studio it's really good yeah it's there's a lot that's good for Piper, and he has experience doing commentary, but this is not a point in time when it's a, no. a good fit. It, like, Superstars was awful at this time. It was it was Vince, Piper, and Honky Tonk Man, and Honky Tonk Man was, like, the bright spot of that team. Oof. Yeah, yeah I, I never, never liked Vince on commentary at, but, at all. Uh, you liked him better when we watched... Oh, that's true. When we, did, when we watched the old stuff, you kind of were like, uh, he's better here. Yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. Vince is better alone. <sighs> I think. Better, but not. <laughs> and when he's keeping, when he's reining it in. But now, yeah. um, I liked, I liked the spot where Barbarian hit like his top rope clothesline. Yeah. And I liked that they positioned it well that that Bossman fell into the ropes. Right. And um. So he didn't have they didn't have to do that stupid scooch 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 thing like he really just got the <clears throat> position right. Yeah, the ring positioning was actually really good here. And I have to say, Bossman's lost a lot of weight for this one. Yeah, he 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 kind of never really gained much of it back again. No, Maybe yeah. a little bit when he was in in WCW, he went back to being the whole uh, Big Bubba Rogers gimmick. But yeah. he had lost a ton, and I I saw this era kind of after the fact because i didn't start watching wrestling until like 92 yeah uh, and i was a child and i was but i i said i did see this when i was going through like stuff renting stuff from like the video store um so i, I 
don't exactly remember years later here now like when did Bossman turn turn face because when he turned face it looks like he like dropped like a ton of weight like he could easily have dropped like he 100 pounds face by six mania six because i think um i think they were like slick was gonna like sell them to ted dibiase and he wasn't up for that and that's how he turned face hmm. but i know he and akeem fought at mania six One of the things in this match that I really enjoyed watching was just seeing how agile and mobile Ray Trailer was. Because Ray Trailer, not a small dude, but just like the spot that got him his start with um, uh, Tully Blanchard, just see how well he moves and how agile he can be here. He got up for that slingshot suplex. I can see why they were interested after he did that. Yeah, and in this match, if I was to tell you, hey, the finish to this match, and by the way, it works, the finish to this match is a roll-through pin when uh, off of a flying crossbody, Would how many people would believe me on something like that? Right? It's like, you're saying the Barbarian and, and, and Boss Man? It's like, yeah, that, and it works. I don't so, think people, though, understand that the Barbarian wasn't a stiff. Like, he actually had a lot of talent and was a pretty good worker when he was He younger. could if, if, he, if, he, if he wanted to – if he was motivated, he could do really well. But in a lot of cases, he just didn't have to. Yeah. Yeah. He, he looked to be, like, in the best shape of his life in this match. Yeah, he was he pretty looked, shredded. He looked, yeah, he looked jacked, but – uh, sometimes I like to think like what would become of people like this at the modern era. Like if this was the modern era, uh-huh. like someone like I, well, Vince doesn't push new people, but in theory, like he would be like pushing Barbarian to the moon just based on on the look. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he didn't have to back then, obviously, because he had other guys that were. I'm sure he'd be the third Uso or something dumb like that. Yeah, maybe. He would beat everyone but, else in the roster and lose to Roman over yeah. <laughs> 20 times. Yeah, but the I, I fully believe that uh, Ray Trailer under whatever gimmick would have risen to the to the heights that he did, regardless of the era. Um, just because he was really good. Yep. All right. So then up next. Take, I- Next, we have what I would call the highlight of the evening. So, well, so there's a promo before this. So, um, right. Savage is talking about how Sergeant Slaughter has promised him a title shot if um, he wins the title, but he wants the same guarantee from the Ultimate Warrior. So, um, Sherry Martell goes out and um, kind of coaxes Warrior out. And she makes some um, lewd suggestions about what <laughs> he might get for doing that. And then um, – and I have to say, Warrior is great in this promo, like his reactions to everything. And like like the little like smirks and like looking at the audience <laughs> like, wow, like really? Mm-hmm. And then – Lady, what the hell are you doing? And then um, he screams no at her. Yeah. And um, – which is it's a really good promo and angle and Warrior's really Warrior is actually really good in all of this actually. Yeah. 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 See, it's funny because Sherry goes out there and starts starts talking trash to get Warrior to come out, 
And then she pulls the handbrake and does a hard 180 talking him up. And I was just like, uh, oak, oak, but it, Sherry makes it work. You know, if you were to do that, a bunch of people would not be able to, to pull that kind of reversal, but Sherry makes it work. And warrior is annoyed at her touching on him and stuff like that. So, the whole segment really works out. I can't believe, um, and I know what they're going for, but I can't believe that that did not get them all in deep shit where she's like on his, on her knees and you oh, know, yeah. he's like positioned just right. And he's like smirking and looking at the crowd. Like, like the, I, I, I don't even think you call it a double entendre there, but like just the suggestion they put in there. I can't believe someone didn't get fired for that. <laughs> Cause it was blatant. Yeah, they never said anything about it. It was just the positioning, but it, it I mean, was, you're not. It was obvious though what the two of them were going for, though. Yeah, well, I mean, you're not going to fire Warrior. He's your champ here, and you're not going to fire Sherry because she, you know she's doing such a good job. But it's just at some point you get to the bag and you you all you can't do that again. Just just don't. You cannot do that again. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was kind of clicking around trying to because I my I lost the connection on the feed and I was trying to get back to where I was, and I saw that and I was like, oh, okay, how did we get here exactly? Let's let's watch for that. And it's not so much like Sherry's being suggestive to get to that point. I think Warrior like pushed her off of him or something. Yeah, is that I think right? So. He might have so, flinched or something. Yeah. So it wasn't so much like Sherry's offering to do something like, but they ended up in that position. So, so. there were a couple other things they slipped in there because Warrior did like the two finger sniff, making like a bit of another <laughs> suggestion there. Yeah, a little bit. And I was like, oh, guys, like, you're not even being like subtle about this. But it's a really good promo, and, um, Savage like freaks out, then they go to some other promos to set up the match. So this is Ultimate Warrior defending the WWF title against Sergeant Slaughter and mm-hmm. um, Iraqi a... sympathizer. Yeah, and Sergeant, Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah. We will get into that after this, but so this <laughs> is a fucking great match. Do I say it's great? Like I don't, I don't really know. With the angle around it, it's great. I think. I'm not sure how many stars I would give it. I know we don't really do that, but I, I do think it's sometimes it's fun to talk about stars. I'd give it right. like three, maybe. I would probably give it three. Three um, and a fourth, maybe. Yeah, I could maybe conv- be convinced to give it up to possibly three and a half. Like, I would need to, like, look at it again. But this is a shockingly good match. Yeah, the worst part uh, is actually the referee. The referee does some... <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, We'll get into that in a minute, but so, so this is pretty much Slaughter's bumping around for Warrior, but Savage and Sherry keep like interfering. Right. Well, Slaughter is bumping around, but bump, he's bumping around like he's making. Yes. Like Warrior look great, like to the point where Slaughter was like throwing himself into steel posts <laughs> just to just sell like the the beating that that Warrior is giving him, mm-hmm. and. 
it's it's awesome. It's like he Slaughter was obviously a, a longtime veteran. He knew how to get heat, and he knew like how to make a guy look good. And he was doing everything out there to make Warrior look like really, really impressive. And, and I have always said like I we had some discussion offline about this, but I had always had the operating idea that Warrior wasn't like that great of a worker. And that there was only maybe about three guys who could really get good, who got good matches out of him in the WWF. Mm-hmm. And that was Hogan, that was Savage, and that was Rick Rude. But I have to say, like, I add Slaughter to the list. Like, all of them got a good match, like a really good match, or even great match out of Warrior. And yeah. this is one of them. And. It harkens back for me, it reminds me of the Slaughter-Backland match we did way, way back, in that Slaughter is, he's not pinballing exactly, but he's selling just a little bit bigger, and he's really going into it, and it's really good because, given the ending on this, what it does is it makes... It makes Warrior look really good despite the outcome. Mm-hmm. So it's not taking away from anybody in the course of this. And there's a turn uh, right in the middle of the match where it goes we go from the shine, Warrior's beating up Slaughter, to Slaughter gets a hold of Warrior. And one of the things I really like is the fact that Slaughter stays on him. He doesn't have any pauses. He's not looking at – he stays on him. It looks good. The opening sequence where Warrior's just beating the crap out of Slaughter mm-hmm. and doing stuff with the flag and things like that is good. Slaughter keeps the flag stuffed in his mouth for like a couple of corner-to-corner spots and things like that. Slaughter consistently, I think – let me rephrase. I believe Slaughter's greatest strength in the ring is the fact that as big as he was – and no matter what his gimmick was, he could sell in a way that made the other guy look really good. And it made just about everything I've seen him do look like a hard-fought battle. I also want to say what makes Slaughter great is when he's invested, he literally gives no fucks about his own safety. Mm. He just goes. Yeah. Because remember we watched the Pat Patterson one, and he took that insane like bump into the ring post. And then blade it off of it. Uh, yes. Now that you mention it, yes. It it took me a second to to bring it up. But mm-hmm. it um. But yeah, he he's just he'll bump big. Like he's not afraid to just put his body on the line. Now I will say my biggest complaint about this though is the referee. Because when they <laughs> when Savage attacks him outside of the ring. The ref's trying to count him out, and Slaughter keeps interrupting him. And even when I saw this younger, I'm like, that doesn't make sense. The what? ref counting him out or the fact that Slaughter keeps interrupting him? That the ref keeps starting over when Slaughter would interrupt oh. him. Yes. From a logical standpoint, it obviously made perfect sense for Slaughter to break up the count because he can't win the title on a, uh, a count out. Um, and I actually thought that the interference was like really, really well done because you know yeah. Sherry does the distraction. All of a sudden, like Savage just like attacks uh, from like the shadows, basically, and then hits Warrior with uh, like a light, like a, one of the rigging lightings, 
And I thought Warrior did a great job selling that. Like he's like cr- literally crawling back to the ring. Yeah. Yeah. But, and. But like if Slaughter really okay. wanted to interrupt it, like, and I've seen wrestlers do it before, he should be like on his knees acting like, oh my god, like something happened to my eye, and like grabbing onto the ref and literally like preventing him from. Mm-hmm. From the. Doing um, it. Yeah, if Slaughter's not wanting the count to happen, interrupting the ref once in my book would have been really all it takes. As the ref starts counting, Slaughter's like, no, no, don't count him out. Don't do it. And then the ref goes, eh, okay, we're just going to, you know, we're going to let this play out, however. But then, like you said, the ref keeps restarting the count. It's like, God, dude. Seriously. And that that was minorly forgivable, but then when I really said, fuck this ref, is, um, they do a camel clutch spot, and Warrior's legs are like <clears throat> completely out of the ring and touching the apron, yes. and they're selling it like the ref missed it. And I'm like, this is impossible. The ref should know by their proximity to the ropes. Mm-hmm. Not even seeing his legs out. He should know by how close they are to the ropes. I should check the legs because he's probably under the ropes. Yeah, yeah. well, you're right. The ref should have had the spatial awareness to look around and go, oh, this is... Uh, too close to the ropes but given how much work slaughter was doing to try and block the ref's vision and then the idea that the ref can't leave right there because he might miss the moment if warrior gives up it's like okay but you're you're right about the proximity they he sh- the ref should have looked around and looked around and been like well warrior does have both of his legs from the knee down but I don't know. It, it might have been that they just got too close with it, and the ref's like, oh, I don't want to ruin the spot. And I feel like if you're a referee and you've refed thousands upon thousands of matches, I feel like you should just know by where you're, by where you specifically are at in the ring, like, hey, this feels a little wo- wonky for this kind yeah. of move. Like, I should look because I, I don't. I mean, you were a worker. Like, couldn't you generally tell? Like, oh, I should. I'm a. I'm like five degrees off where I should be. Like, just from like being in a wrestling ring yeah i i got the feel for that but if you want the god's honest truth i worked with a few refs who <sighs> we had to talk them through there was there was one jumps out in my memory that we had to remind him if there's a pin you count one two three and if they don't kick out you count the three anyway because one time we're doing a match and he goes one, two, and he stops and looks at the guy doing the pin and goes, do you want me to count three? And it's just like, oh, my God. Oh, and any any match I had with him as the ref, I was always as careful as I could be to try and make sure that uh, there was as little falling to his discretion as I could manage. Because there, there are some... There are some people out there who are really good refs, and then there are some people who are out there that end up refing because they couldn't hack it doing anything else. So, like, well, we'll let him ref. We need a ref tonight. And it's like, uh... A good ref has a good cadence to their count, too. Yeah, it's it's consistent. It's, it's not uh, a variable speed count. I, I think it's hilarious, though, in World Class. I think Jim Cornette talked about this, or maybe they talked about it on Laps Fan, but... They used to screw with Bronco Lubitsch because he was old and didn't like getting down on his hands and knees. They would try and see how many times they could make him get up and down during a match. Okay, that's that's funny. 
Yeah, I thought so. So that, <laughs> so that we get the second round of interference, and uh, Sherry comes out, and Warrior kind of like pulls her into the ring, and then he press slams her onto Savage, which I was like, holy crap, like Sherry Martell yeah. is a champ. Like there yeah, are a yeah. lot of guys in that era that would not have taken that. Right. That bump. And it was a full bore. There was no cheating it. She flew over the top into yeah. Savage and yeah. they tumbled. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much what got Orange Cassidy injured. Yeah. And Savage kind actually, of, yeah. Yeah. But Savage, um, Savage, like, that bump was, he did that bump by a chance because he caught her. Yeah. And then he, like, obviously, the, dramatically, like, it's, of course, like, he he fell backwards because that looks worse. Like, like, oh, my God, look. Like, Savage threw Sherry. Sherry's, like, hurt. He hurt Savage with that. Uh, but he, you could easily see, like, you probably uh, appreciate this, Chad. Like, he yeah. caught her and then, like, rolled back in a way that looked like, oh, my God, look, he, he got taken out. But in reality, like, he was protecting her and he was making sure that she got down safe while also looking like it, it, was, it was a total, like, pro move. Yeah. yeah. Like, Savage, we've talked about Savage before. Like, Savage doesn't get enough credit for how good he was. And he was fantastic in this. Yes. The you're you're exactly right. The there are some people who will do a catch and then the, the person who's flying through the air their feet will get down and then they'll both fall to the floor. But mm-hmm. Sherry trusted Savage here and she was right to do it and he caught her and they they rolled back and it looked great. I see why um, everyone gives her such high respect in shoot yeah. interviews and stuff. This is a perfect. Uh, encapsulation of why Sherry Martell deserved all the respect she got. It, mm-hmm. You just watch this one match and you'll see it. Yeah, and then Savage breaks his scepter over Warrior's head, Slaughter pins him, and wins mm-hmm. the title. Yeah. And um, I remember this. I remember this differently when I was a child. When I watched it as a child, this show as a child, I thought that. It was like a glass scepter that just like shattered into pieces, and it, well, that didn't really happen. I, I no. think I, I kind of felt like that too myself. when I watched it the first time. Um, but it did look like brutal. Like it, he he hit Savage hit Warrior with it, and Warrior, to his credit, just like crumpled. Mm-hmm. It just like goes like just like dead weight leaning over the the ropes, and then Savage pulled him in, dropped an elbow, and then boom, pen. Yeah, uh, I, this was something that. I talked to you guys about, but I generally, I don't think that Howard Finkel was like this amazing, great announcer. People mm-hmm. have a lot of nostalgia for him. I don't think it was bad, but I am not like, Oh my God, I'm in love with Howard Finkel's annou- ring announcing skills. But one thing that he used to do a lot, which I really, really liked is that he would start off announcing like the, the results of the match. Mm-hmm. Your winner. And then he would pause. It'd be like a few beats. And no WWF champion. It's like, yeah, because it built it all the suspense. And when that came out, oh man, the crowd just went like eight. They hated it. They hated yeah. it. Slaughter won the match. I, I will give props to Gorilla and Piper too, because they, they had to tweak that fork in right before he announced it, because there's like that moment where no one knows what happened. And, and they're like, well, what happened? Like, it's got to be a DQ, right? Like, probably. Yeah. Like, they they really. Let's get get the instant replay. Let's get an official out here. Let's get this straightened out. This can't go down this way. Like, they were yeah. they were selling the injustice of it in a big way. Yeah, and then we get Savage doing a promo backstage with um 
Sean Mooney and you hear Warrior start like banging on the locker room door and Savage just like hightails it out of town to the point where he even skipped out on his 18th spot in the Royal Rumble because he's in yeah. the building. I have to admit in that promo where Savage takes off and leaves, I was cracking up because they start talking and then they have Warrior beating on the door, but Warrior is so unintelligible. I imagine him standing on the other side smacking the door but not even saying words he's just vocalizing gibberish and that was far funnier to me than it probably should have been I heard him screaming something about I'll do to you what I did to Santa Claus oh god I hope not that that gets you put on a registry these days yeah you can't fly after you do that Mm -mm, mm -mm. you can't do a lot of things this was for a WWF angle, especially in this era. And on a pay-per-view, this was, like, just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like we it can was talk, very well done. Like, the Iraqi sympathizer gimmick, I hate it, and it's really distasteful. Yeah, The way they yeah. did that. But, like, the, if, you, if you remove that and just take this as, like, an <clears throat> angle on this show, it was really good. Until you get to the Hogan stuff, and then it, if like, you, gets back yeah. in. Yeah, if you took, like, the Iraqi sympathizer stuff out... And I mean, it, it maybe it didn't. It wouldn't have like a uh, a visceral punch because people like were hating Slaughter at the time. Yeah. But if you just had to be like, he goes out there and they hype him up as like, oh, like Slaughter, like you know this fan favorite, everyone, and then he just cuts the classic like heel turn promo where it's like, you know, I used to go out here for you people, but I think you're all a bunch of pukes. You embarrass yeah. me. Well, you know, it didn't like, start out as an Iraqi sympathizer gimmick. He actually was railing against America because it went soft, and part of it was because Nikolai Volkov turned face, and that's kind of how that angle started. Is he was like talking about how America had gone soft and like, you know, accepting Nikolai Volkov, like showed that, and then it turned into yeah. the Iraqi thing. Yeah, but they could have done stuff. They could have had him like, you know, attack. Uh, Hogan and yeah. Hurt Hogan or something in an angle they could have had him like be immediately gunning for Warrior like they, there's ways they could have done it without doing the Iraqi stuff and, but and they were particularly bad about it because there's like a promo where you know he personally gets his boots from like Saddam Hussein and yeah 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 they, they were really gross with it yeah it's the that company has as many times as they have tried they have never been good about tying in current events to whatever's going on. No, they, remember, they just are not. Remember La Resistance? Yeah. yeah. They, they, and it's something they, they have never been able to help themselves from doing. They should not have done it. But if you were going to, I believe my answer would have been the whole group of you out here are saying, you know, I support the troops overseas and that sort of stuff, but you don't really care. You're saying that right now because it's what you think you're supposed to say, and you maggots make me yeah. sick. You know, something like there. People are feeling very patriotic because it was the first time since Vietnam that the U.S. was gearing up to get into a big conflict, mm-hmm. and people are wanting to be supportive, and it was. A conflict where you very easily feel it's a just cause and we're doing something righteous in it. And just to turn Slaughter 
heel by having him sympathize with, you know, Hussein. That's just, it's like you guys said, it's distasteful. It's gross. Yeah. And there would be ways of having slaughter chastising people for doing things that people think is something good to be doing. Mm -hmm. You could get a lot of mileage out of that, but that requires a level of subtlety that I'm not sure the, that Vince is actually capable of. No, yeah. I don't think so. I think people who have been on the roster have been capable of doing stuff with that level of subtlety, but not Vince. Yeah. I uh, I don't like the the Arab gimmicks that they've done over the time since I feel like they're always like offensive or at least borderline prejudiced. Yeah. But there is one I always marked for this theme music. <laughs> Oh, yeah. There's one that uh, it's actually like a banging theme song. It's like it has like it's almost like the Muslim call to prayer at the beginning, and then it like turns into Mm -hmm. like this rock, like like really like 2000s rock music. But he was actually not that bad. I thought that he was something. But he wasn't. But like in OVW, he was like an Italian like pretty boy gimmick. Yeah. Well, I think like. I mean, I don't. In, in today's day and age, like he he, would, he could be canceled for an entirely different reason because I don't think he's actually like Arabic. He might no. be. No, uh, I th- I think I think, think he was Italian. He was. Italian. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, th- I was gonna say I think his his sidekick was Arab heritage. Yeah, Davari. Yeah, yes. Davari, but he wasn't and. Oddly enough, you saying that about his music reminds me of someone else having I, I hope this is a good way of putting it very ethnic sounding music that turned into a like I have no love for Jinder Mahal's title run but his music was really good now I, Same I kind of disagree thing. with you there because the the highlight of every pay-per-view was the Singh brothers dying for my entertainment <laughs> yes. but that didn't have that that you know, Jinder Mahal was incidental to that. No, because remember that so. when they did the Punjabi prison match, which was that's the <laughs> dumbest thing ever. But that one like went through the table like off the side. Yeah. Didn't yeah. Orton it, yeah. and him get really hurt doing that too? Uh, I think so. I think Orton did at least. But you know, I they did they did the Muhammad not Muhammad Hussein. Oh, they did the Jinder Mahal. Uh, title reign because obviously they were they were entering into the Indian market. Yeah. And so they wanted to obviously have like a big push. They and here's an Indian like face, and I don't mean like faces in like wrestling face. I mean like a recognizable talent. And they wanted to push that. And it I don't think it worked long term, but I didn't mind because the problem as we talked about like endlessly on this show before, it's like they they don't push new guys. So. The fact that they were kind of pushing like a new person uh, for a little bit, like I kind of like that. Um, the problem, of course, is obviously like they they push him to the world title with like no build. He was and that it was based almost, purely on the fact that he was roided to the gills. Yeah. yeah. He had. I remember watching that Punjabi prison match because I was hoping. I was very intentionally hoping to see something other than my three moves thing punch kick and coloss mm. and that's all you ever saw him do think about this 
two two of the three man band have won a world title in the WWE. Yes. Yeah. And the person he needs it the most is uh, is actually Keith Slater. Well, yeah, yeah. he's got to feed his kids. And he's got to feed really, his kids. They really missed out <laughs> because um, oh shit, what was his name? What was the the fake guitar guy in Oh Van Hammer? They missed out by yeah. like not having Van Hammer to play guitar with them. <laughs> well, no, they didn't because Van Hammer couldn't play guitar. <laughs> well, none of them could either. I I always love yeah. Jinder Mahal. The most personality he's ever showed is his air guitar. Mm-hmm. So then, um, well, yeah. Up next, we have, I guess we'll call this the death spot, but it's the Mountie versus Coco Beware and a who gives a fuck match. Yeah, basically. Um, so we'll move on. Then we get the um, the Rhodeses versus um, Ted DiBiase and Virgil. Uh, actually, I thought Dustin just showed a lot in this match. Mm-hmm. And um, but this is more about the angle afterwards. So the the Ted DiBiase and Virgil win because this is Dusty's last WWF match. Yeah. And um, pretty much Virgil accidentally hits him during the match, and Ted like freaks out, and, like attacks him and tosses him out of the ring. Which he was being a real bitch about that, if you ask me. I don't uh, remember like the angle going into this, but it, it seemed obviously like the they were they were finally like, pulling the trigger on the angle of Virgil turning yeah. on on Ted DiBiase because he was just being abused. And I mean, DiBiase was just like a bitch the entire match. Like he's just like being a bully basically. Yeah. It's virtual. Yeah. Um, I remember like as a kid, again, I, I rented this from the video store and I watched it and I don't know what was going on because by that point I started watching wrestling and I actually was had access to Dustin Rhodes on my TV because he was very prominently featured in like early 90s WCW. Yeah. And when I saw this match, I was like, oh, he sucks. Dustin sucks. <laughs> Dustin Rhodes sucks. Because he basically was just like getting the, the shit kicked out of yeah, him. Yeah, he was the whipping boy for this match. Yeah. He showed some and then good I was, spots, though. I was actually surprised how good he looked in this match, like when he was on offense. As, a, as, a, as an adult, I can appreciate that. Uh, when I was like, a child, I'm yeah. like, no, all I saw was like him getting his ass handed to him for like 10 minutes. And I'm like, oh, he sucks. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, like uh, Dusty in his last match in in the WF, like came in and he had all of a sudden like he had like uh, 30 seconds of stuff and got pinned. Yeah. Um, but so this. Either. Yeah, this was really it's even though it's like it extended it's 10 minutes of, of Dustin getting you know, beat down. It's pretty much like 10 minutes of like angle because it was really like the backdrop to the whole million dollar man, Virgil implosion. Yeah. They had a promo to set it up beforehand. So it's like, Hey, in case you missed it, we're going to be doing this angle now. And (laughs) did they ever do anything with this? Because like at one point, like at the end, like when, when Ted is like just wailing on, Virgil, right before Virgil like fights back, he like starts trash talking, uh, Virgil and is talking like 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 your he says something about like Virgil's mother. Oh, he said Wait. yeah, because Virgil is resisting doing. I think it was after the match when mm-hmm. Ted's like bring me the million dollar belt, and he's resisting the uh, Ted doing that, and he goes, do you want to get paid? Do you want to get paid? Think about your mother 
Virgil, do you, you know, are you sure, you know, get up here and do this. And so it seemed to me that it was a just digging the knife in a little bit more kind of stuff. It's like, oh, no, you got to get paid because you got to take care of your family. And guess what? If you don't get in here and do this, I don't pay you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't know if they were trying to go with a little bit more than that. But it didn't seem that way to me, but yeah, the um, yeah, I bet Vince privately mm-hmm. was having just a big laugh about this match because if you think about it, it's uh, Dusty Rhodes, aka Virtual Runnels, yeah, like the real life Virtual Runnels, like in the ring with Ted DiBiase and Virgil, who yeah, of course it was like him being named Virgil was a rib on uh, on Dusty long before Dusty actually joined the company, right. Um, but you're right, like that. They file a Virgil fight that snapped here because DiBiase was just being like a just an ass to him the entire time. Yep. And he he demanded that Virgil actually like strap the million dollar belt onto him. Yeah. And eventually, like Virgil just snapped and used the belt to like clock DiBiase. And DiBiase's selling gear was really good. He just like yeah. was laying on the floor, well laying on the the, the mat there, and it's like he just got hit by a freight train. Right. You got to consider, not only did he just get hit by years of pent-up frustration in one go, mm-hmm. but he got hit with diamonds, which is the hardest substance in the world. So hmm. <laughs> it, it's I, I know it, it did end up going because Virgil won the million dollar belt from him at one point. DiBiase had to win it back. But yeah, I mean, I don't think that Virgil was really like a good worker, but it is a little bit sad because they did go into this feud. And initially it was like, you know, uh, it was a hot feud. Yeah. And I want to say by a little over a year from now, you had Virgil basically like just being job boy status to nails of all people as right. SummerSlam 92. Well, I mean, he was hanging out with DiBiase, but he wasn't really doing much. Prior to the breakup, I don't think was he. Uh, no, I don't think so. So, uh, not that different. It just so happens he's not hanging out in the background of somebody else's promo, I guess. Yeah. But uh, yeah. uh, I I mean, real life now, it's kind of sad yeah. news. Uh, Virgil's not doing the best. No. Health wise. No. He's only uh, like sixty. But he just recently announced a couple months back that he had previously he had suffered two strokes. Yeah. Um, and he seems to have recovered pretty well from those. Like he doesn't seem to have any any like motor functioning skill like skill deficits. Uh, he doesn't seem to have any like uh, what they call dysphagia, where he's like you know the the kind of impaired speech. Yeah. That he get. But he did say that he'd been diagnosed with dementia, which I would oh. hope that it's I would hope that's early on, but I mean that's you don't you don't want that. Yeah. I mean it's gonna get progressively worse. And then after yeah. that, he announced like, Oh, I actually have also been diagnosed with colon cancer. Which yeah. it sounds like they caught that early. And I actually right. in real life I have a friend who uh con- he got uh stage two colon cancer, which is what yeah. uh, Virgil had. And yeah. that is that is pretty treatable because uh, stage two of, of cancer is that is, I could I'm not I'm not a medical professional so I don't not 100 percent accurate here but I don't believe that stage two is just that it has spread or metastasized to at least one other body area 
Okay. Which usually when they say that, it's almost always because it has they find it some cancer cells within like a, a localized meaning like close in proximity to the cancer yeah. uh, lymph node. Yeah. So it it. I do feel like confident that they probably can treat that pretty well. I think usually like a stage two cancer is if like you, you've caught it still early enough that it can be treated. You can have like a, a, a good uh, quality of life and then hope to live much longer, be cancer free for years and years and years. Cause usually they just like remove the cancer in some way if it's something that they need to remove and then yeah. give you like radiation or chemo and treatment. My- That's going to suck. But I mean, he, he can survive that. Well, and, yeah. um, I've heard modern chemo isn't quite as bad depending. And, um, but they've gotten really good at if they catch it early enough for treating it, but he could also, he can also have other options for treatment too, because mm-hmm. especially when you have cancer, there's a lot of trials you can get into where mm-hmm. they'll try some experimental drugs on you. Like I know someone that did that and it worked for them. Yeah. So there um, was a, options. um, there was a study here recently, and it was only 12 people, I think, but they were trying out, um, I believe it was some form of DNA therapy or um, maybe it was RNA therapy where they, they had kind of made an artificial virus to counteract cancer stuff. And yeah, it's only 12 people, but it worked in all 12 of them. Mm. So we can be ha- we might be having some, some really cool advancements on the horizon. Well, I know Dr. Steve talked about they've done some clinicals that they've had up and down success with of like irradiating the cancer cells and like getting the your your own immune system to see like, oh shit, that's not. Yeah, that should be bad. here and like getting your immune system to attack it. But yeah. um, he said that's had like mixed results like it works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. 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 Uh, they have made a lot of advancements with cancer treatment, um, and you're right, Chad. Like the the drugs that they use, the treatment that they use have improved a ton. Because um, I sadly I, I've known a couple people with cancer, um, mm-hmm. and they are both like they've recovered, so they're they're essentially cancer free. But they did have to do treatment, and yeah. the treatment is not fun. Uh, yeah. It it can make you feel very very sick. Yeah. Uh, but it's still better than what it used to be. It used to be like it used you know, to be as bad tre- as it used to be as bad as. Yeah. yeah. The treatment used to be like horrible and now if they catch it early and stage 2 is kind of like catching it early, then you can get the drugs and it may suck for like a few weeks, but then mm-hmm. you you and you may have the some of the traditional stuff of like, well, I lost my hair because I'm on this cancer yeah. treatment, but right. But you do recover and it's like I well, if you have the chance to live like you don't want to have cancer at all, but if you have the chance to live like at least a decade or more, Right. Then, yeah. Like you should do it, and they have they figure that out kind of. It's but, just really tough for Virgil because he's having all these dominoes fall at once. And yeah, yeah, and it's tough it, to have a lot of stuff happening at once, especially when you get older. Mm-hmm. And your finances are more strained too. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna I, say too though, um, with some of the treatments, like you can be on a chemo pill for the rest of your life, and that helps keep keep it from coming back too. Yeah, well, I mean that's that's Roman's treatment was rumored to be oral chemotherapy. So yeah, you just gotta be careful because it also suppresses your immune system. So you kind of have to come right. off and on. It's like if you if you get sick, you have to you have to stop taking it so you can get better and then. Um, 
Right, which is why Roman was gone for so much of the COVID era too, because yeah. you know he he could couldn't take that risk. Yeah, he's immunocompromised. But, but you know we're pulling for uh, pulling for Virgil. You know, yeah. it's a tough spot to be in. So um, Rumble time. Yeah, this led us to the Rumble. So uh, this is quite the interesting array of guys because there's a lot of guys that are like on the way out. Yeah. And um, Greg Valentine and Rick Martel get our Iron Man spots. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. They were talking about Martel breaking the record as they went, but I don't know. It was one of those things where it almost felt like kind of an afterthought uh, in the uh, the way they, they structured the rumble. It's like, oh, yeah, Martel is still there. I think well, they, okay, he'll break the record. We can just do that. I think they, um, DiBiase said it the year before. Okay. They said somebody had it 45 minutes and he made it to 54, yeah, I think. Okay. So this was before the trope of your, your Iron Man spot and your, your monster clear the ring spot. Well, this is only like the fourth rumble. And I think like it was still in the twenties at this point for people that mm-hmm. had won. Um, and this is only the third 30 man one cause right the first one was 20 and i mean this next year flair wins it from number three yeah so but they did a really good job um they did a really good job of selling how chaotic it was and how there's no like friends yeah but i liked one thing they did again i'm gonna give them some props like when savage no showed they're like well who is it and gorilla was just like i don't know maybe he just took one look at this thing and like just said nope <laughs> this did have one of the most famous or infamous rumble appearances of all time when bushwhacker luke comes down to the ring makes his way down the ring gets in the ring gets tossed out the other side and just marches his way right back out i thought that was pretty good actually and on one hand you look at that and you're like oh dude he's getting the jobber treatment but on the other hand the guy's just like oh i get to do a funny spot and i don't have to do anything else tonight i'm calling that a win you know, I get the Rumble payday, and I don't have to take any bumps. That's a win. Yeah, because what people don't understand about the Bushwhackers especially is they signed on when they were, like, when they were winding down, and they were hardcore brawlers during their primes. And yeah. um, they probably got an extra, like, eight years out of their careers by doing this dumb by, crap. By, by mm-hmm. being goofy. Yeah. But what was it, 37 37- – we bled on 30, uh, 37 countries on six continents or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the, uh, the wild sheep herders, I think it was. Uh, New Zealand sheep herders, usually. Okay. Because one of them had been there for the whole thing, but it used to be um, Jonathan Boyd was the other one. And then um, I think Butch came in later, or it was Luke that replaced Jonathan. If you watch old stuff, it's not the, it's not those two guys until like the mid '80s, I think. We also get we also get I, another infamous appearance in this though. We get Saba Simba. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Boy, that one's an awkward one. Yeah. It's like I, I, it's been kind of like called out uh, in your sense, but it's like you you could not do a, a gimmick like that. No. Nowadays, it just would just be called flat out racism. Yeah, and yeah. It, you can't even 
you can't even turn around and say, well, they were trying to cash in on, like, Lion King or something because that hadn't been released yet. Mm. Like, this was just, uh, you're, you're going to get a tribal gimmick. It's like, I'm sorry, what? Now, even when I first saw this, probably in, like, 98, like, it felt horribly dated and racist at the time, and I just felt bad for Tony Atlas as, like, a, a 17-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. That's... And it took me a while to r- realize it was Tony Atlas doing it, and at that point, I was like, oh, oh, wow. And Undertaker. Um, he, yeah. You know what's funny is... Um, he had just become the Undertaker because on the first set of TV tapings he was Kane the Undertaker. That's right, yeah. But he still had Brother Love as his manager. Yeah. Which um, and we hadn't gotten to Paul Bear yet. Yeah. Mm. Which that was a severe upgrade. That was a severe upgrade for him because um, Brother Love just sucks. But it it did not fit. Um, I I don't. I mean, I guess it was, well, we want to give this guy a manager who's not doing a whole lot right now. We'll put Brother Love on it. But the the guy who's supposed to be the Jimmy Swaggart parody, who managing the Wild West Undead Undertaker gimmick, it's like, that's, uh, just that don't fit, guys. Yeah, I do see why they called him Wendy in this era, though. Undertaker, that is. Oh, yeah, with the red. Yeah, he's very... He's very gingery in this match. Mm. I did well, like that it took both uh, Road Warriors to knock him out. Right. Mm-hmm. I do hate and, I, I hate sanitized WWF Legion of Doom. <laughs> I do love the story on that whole thing uh, that they uh, when they when Vince signed him, he wanted him. Well, we can't call you the Road Warriors cause, and we need a new name for you. And they're like, well, why, aren't, why don't we be the Legion of Doom like in the cartoon? That's great, but they'd already bought the wrestling trademark for it. Well, they'd been the Legion of Doom previously in Georgia. Oh, okay. Well, they they had the trademark, the wrestling trademark for it in hand. Because so. they, they were like with Rude and like Bundy and like a group. That's when they looked more like um, your stereotypical gay biker from the 70s was there like <laughs> – Oh, they they did kind of have that aesthetic. Yeah, it's like the the that one guy in the village paper people. Um, gayer than that. <laughs> I, let me look it up really quickly. All right. It, yeah, it's it, there's a certain aesthetic that would uh, have a different interpretation these days. Look up animal because I think it was more of the animals deal. Okay. But, you know, it, this is, I believe, Brad, you, you said this in our group chat. It, this rumble kind of meanders around until Hogan gets there. Um. <laughs> okay, it's... <laughs> if you ever heard you ever heard of Tom of Finland? No. Probably would not. I, it's, uh, it was a gay artist who did a lot of, like gay erotic art okay and that's basically like it think think the biker from like you just said the biker from village people yeah and leather man like, yeah that's kind of like all he did i just sent like, you a picture of animal and that in his get up yeah yeah i'm seeing that the short shorts he's got the daisy dukes that's the uh that's the clincher actually that's not even the leather one he's got denim there 
Yeah, but still. Um... Yeah, that would get a very different interpretation today. Yeah. Yeah, it would. That's, uh... He would be getting the AJ Styles treatment when, um... This was when AJ was a much younger man before his views evolved, where I think some radio show told him he was really popular with, like, the gay community, and he's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> the gay community. <laughs> this... These pictures you just sent are, like, wild. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen them before, but it's like, what, what do they think they were doing with this? Like you're you're gonna you're gonna have like a, a certain audience that you probably don't want. Yeah. And I mean, again, it's 2022. I wrestling is for everyone, and we have very prominent um, LGBTQ uh, wrestlers right now. Yeah. And I think that that's great. But back then, it's like it was things weren't really like <laughs> at least like well, openly inclusive. There was um, it was in I think the first big cornet shoot. He remarked that they, when they started making music videos, now this is going to revolutionize the industry. He goes, if you go back and watch those, they are just very gay now. Well, and, you have to you have to realize though, like um, those ones that come across like that though, a lot of those videos are appealing to women and not men. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a. I think of it as this is kind of what you were going with. Think back to the hair metal scene of the the late eighties. Is you look at a lot of that and go, ah, oh, how could you think that was a good look? But then that's that's what the aesthetic was at the time. So it's uh, you know it, it outdated. I think might be the best way to put it. Well, you have to remember though that they did debut in Georgia, and uh, my boy, my boy. Was um, the the <laughs> head muckety muck there? So he might have um, he might have had some ideas. Ah, uh, okay. No, and I mean I'm not saying anything about it. I'm just I'm just more laughing at like the outdated aesthetic where today people would be like, have a oh very, you're doing that gimmick. Yeah, like oh like okay like um, it, it would just be taken very differently now. I think. That's that's fair. Though I don't know like um. That might have been a little outdated at the time too, but I don't know. I think that that might have been okay still. I don't, I, uh, I don't have enough cultural context to say much. But... I just find I just find it humorous because you just, it, it evokes it evokes a very strong reaction. Sure. So back to the rumble itself. Um, Earthquake's quite good in the rumble. He is. What I like and, about him is he sells for people, so he's like a monster, but he's a vulnerable monster. Mm-hmm. You, it's easier to buy in because he's not invincible, and you've got the chance when you're throwing bombs at him. But there is something in this match that pisses me off that Hogan does. Because at the end of the match, Earthquake does a power slam, and H- Hogan pops up and, and goes into the Hulk up. Okay, fine. But before that, Earthquake did the Earthquake Splash, and Hogan popped up immediately. If you just do that off of a big move to go into the Hulk Up spot, fine. Not a problem. Don't care. But I really hate it whenever he would do it after somebody's finish. Uh, I I just – I really hated that because – you didn't have to if, – if it was going to be the Earthquake Splash, but he wanted to make a comeback out of it, 
there's a real easy answer. Just just move. So Earthquake goes for the splash and dodges, and Hogan comes up into the comeback. Cool. Fine with that. You don't hurt his finish. You don't hurt his bread and butter that way. But Hogan going to Hogan, you know. Mm-hmm. I actually thought the rumble was kind of like – it kind of was interesting in the beginning. Then got a lot, really, really boring. Mm-hmm. And then it didn't pick up again until Hogan got in there. But there were some issues. One of them is the one you just noted. Yeah. Their, their um, management of getting rid of people wasn't great in this rumble. No, it, was, it wasn't. And then finally, the frustrating thing was that finally, okay, okay they, they got rid of people at mm-hmm. the end. Like, they got down to, like, a final four. And then it just became, like, Hogan, essentially Hogan and, and um, an Earthquake. And then they kept going, and it's like yeah. when I saw that, I'm like, "What is this? What the hell? Like, why are why all of a sudden did it turn into like a Hogan earthquake match?" Right. They kind of like did it, that with the Rumble back then. I didn't it, like it. I, it's it's I not the best it. choice. No. But yeah, I think he and Henning like, did something similar. Like big, yeah, I, the previous one. Yeah. And they. But they Hogan, yeah, Hogan is gonna Hogan. It's like let me take this guy's big move, and then uh, let me pop up, and you know, make the guy eat shit, throw him out. It's like, did you have to? Did you have to like kill the guy's gimmick or yeah, big yeah. move? That 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 I I just hate that. I hate that so much because that that's the guy's thing. That's his bread and butter. Don't do that. But it was fine in Mania when Warrior does it to Savage because they thought Savage was retiring. It was fine to kill his well, finisher in that situation. That that one that has a whole different story around it. In that Savage is trying to kill Warrior off, and it's just not enough. And Warrior had almost walked out prior, and there's this whole thing of what's going to happen here and then savage is trying to kill warrior and warrior kind of surges at like it, it, it's built to that point but just it's like hogan doing it when vader power moms him. like don't do that don't don't be doing that crap that's you know i'm saying this 30 years too late but i hate it i hate it so much when did we hit the era where like the number one entrance winning was like hack um, who was the first one to do it from number one? Was it think was Austin. it Shawn Michaels? It might have been Shawn Michaels. Wow, Bob Backlund went an hour and one minute in the '93 Rumble. Wow. I think a lot of that was the Berserker body slammed him on the floor, uh-huh. but he didn't go over the top rope, so he was laying on the floor for a while. But let's see. oh, okay. I'm kind of looking here. They kind of had this... the. The, they set the record like four years straight on time. Right. But I remember there was that era where someone got the first like entry. You're like, oh yeah, they're winning. Yeah, Shawn Michaels won it the first time in '95 at one. Okay, but and then the next year. Rumble. Yeah. But then the very next year he won the rumble again. I don't remember if he came in at one. 
but he won it the very next year also, and they made it just blatantly obvious it was going to happen. He came in at 18 that year. Was it? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I'm, I'm glad they've gotten away from the number one spot being the winning spot. It, nobody has ever won from 30, I don't think, have they? Uh, maybe. I don't maybe. know. Maybe. I'd have to look. I, I think I remember seeing someone do a breakdown in the best, the most winning spot to enter in from was like, 27 or something which okay you want to come into the rumble later that's great but on the other hand that 30 spot as as much of as an advantage as it looks like it's supposed to be doesn't really seem to be one so i think if you if you were to take it realistically too though um you're coming into like everyone kind of coming into the situation and um it's quite possible that by the time you get warmed up, you're already in there with guys that are loosened up and stuff, and mm-hmm. you know they could gang up on you and just toss you too. Like I could see how there's yeah. disadvantages. There's been a couple you know, 29s, but I have not seen. Right. I was just sitting here thinking. I think I thought Brock had an entrance at 30 at one point, but I couldn't remember if he won that. What was his entrant this year? I I don't know. Was he 30 this year, or was he 29? I'm thinking back to his initial run on this, but... uh, He was 29 the first time he won it. I just looked at that. Okay. Let's look at this year. This year's was, like, crap. Brock was... Oh, Brock was 30 this year. Okay. Because Brock doesn't work longer than five minutes for his millions (laughs) upon millions of dollars. Right. Let's see. They have to be as lazy as possible with everything involving him now. Yeah. Uh, I'm scrolling through the listing, and oh, so far... One in... Oh, no, I was wrong. Because in the, the Royal Rumble of putting Roman over, Triple H won from 30. Oh, yeah. Edge won uh, from number one in 2021. And he won, in 2010, he won from 29. Oh, John Cena and Undertaker won from 30. So, uh, my premise is just shot. Seth Rollins won from 10. I think that's it. Probably, he's probably the only person that's done that. Yeah. Uh, 2003, Lesnar was at 29. That's probably what I was thinking of. Yeah, that's what I saw. So, but, uh, so what do we think of uh, the whole show of Rumble 91? Um, probably for this era, probably the best pay-per-view they put on, like, from top to bottom. Yes, uh, but then 1992 rolled around, and you started getting, like, even better stuff. Yeah. Um, but I would say, this is tough, because I feel like half, half the show is, like, really, really good. Like, the first three matches are good. Like, un- like unapologetically good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I thought the Mountie... Coco Beware match was like not good. It's that was more like a superstars match. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't like it wasn't irredeemably bad. Like when we did SummerSlam '89 and like it was good, and then the matches were just like abominations. Yeah, yeah. It's it was inoffensive. Um, and then the 
the Rhodes tag match was like not great, but it was just more there for the angle anyway. So it's like yeah. you, kind of, you kind of can give that a pass. It was fine. And then the, the Rogan, I the the, the 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 Rumble I thought was was fine. Pedestrian. Yeah, it was like okay. It wasn't it's nowhere near the worst Rumble, but it wasn't the best Rumble. It was it just was, okay. It was only the fourth Rumble, so you're a little more forgiving of like. Yeah, you know, they don't yeah. have the the tropes figured out yet. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's fair enough. Well, I didn't realize they did 40 entrants for the 2011 Royal Rumble. Yeah, what was that Del Rio one at 38? Yeah. The Walking Felony, Alberto <laughs> Del Rio. Wow, why would you do 40? That's just that's so long. It is so long. It, there wasn't a whole lot on that card, I don't think. Oh, let's but... look. That's like when they jobbed him in some really bad spots. No, there were five match. Nah, there were three matches. Okay. Edge versus Dolph Ziggler, The Miz versus Randy Orton, and Eva Torres versus Layla, Michelle Nicole, and Natalia. Oh God, that's that must have been just a god awful show. <laughs> So they they made that year they made the Royal Rumble basically the Royal Rumble. Yeah. But that's all right. All right. So sounds like pretty good reviews on this one. Um, again, this one was a a listener request. We're always happy to hear listener requests. So if you want to send them in, we'd love to hear from them. Guys, any other parting thoughts we want to have? Um, just to reiterate, this is a really good pay per view that's kind of forgotten. Mm-hmm. Especially for like the slaughter warrior savage stuff. So yeah, yeah, there's good angle work in it, and um, you know I think we can give this largely recommended. There's some some chaff you could jump through. I mean, anything from this era WWF that there's going to be bad things on the show. Right. Yeah, because they again still kind of working on on the formula and it was it wasn't a work rate promotion it was no yeah it was wwf right right it's a look from all right so everybody thank you for being with us for this episode uh this is shad with matt and brad we've been in three corners you're in the fourth and we'll catch you next time